The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Glory, Glory to, to you, you Lord, Lord Christ. Christ. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. And so they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise be to you, Lord Christ. Well, good morning again, everyone. Again, it is such a delight to have all of you here with us this morning. Let me pray for us. Father, I do pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be pleasing and acceptable to you through your son, for we pray in his name. Amen. Well, it's pretty evident that today is a unique and special day here at All Saints. As I said earlier, we call it All Saints Sunday. All Saints Day was on Monday. And traditionally, that's the day in which the church reads aloud the names of those from that church who have recently died in the faith and passed into eternity. And you'll see their names printed for you on the very beginning of your liturgy bulletin there. And we do that in order to remember them and to mourn our loss of them and give thanks for the life that they've lived, the example that they've been for us. We did that in our chapel on Monday, just across the the courtyard. And it's a moving service. It always is each and every year, particularly this year. And we, we do so and we lean in a little bit more to the mourning side of the Christian t- tension surrounding death. But then today, the Sunday afterward, All Saints Sunday, we lean a, more, a little bit more heavily toward the celebration side of that. And so we have baptisms and we take in new members. And today in particular, if that wasn't enough, we're also celebrating the end of our capital campaign, which the Lord has so faithfully provided for us. And you have been so sacrificial and generous, $9.3 million pledged to our capital campaign and 240 households participating. It's something to celebrate, but why do we truly as Christians celebrate on this day or any day? We're having a party, so why ultimately do we celebrate? And to help us answer that question, I've chosen the first party in the book of John as our gospel text. It's the story of the wedding there at Cana of Galilee and Jesus turning water into wine. And so why do they celebrate that day? And ultimately, why do we as Christians celebrate today or any day? So three points to answer that question this morning. The end, number one. The miracle, number two. And then the hour, finally. First of all, the end. 
The problem in this passage is presented very quickly, almost immediately there in verse three, where in a very sort of nonchalant fashion, we read, when the wine ran out. And as we all know, that will kill any party. The wine running out, the party is over. And the person who has the most to lose, the greatest embarrassment here is the one who's mentioned in verse nine, the master of the feast. In that day and age, it was a paid position. It was something of a combination of an MC, uh, as well as a wedding coordinator and a chef whose job was to make the wedding a stupendous occasion and to keep the party going. But the wine runs out and the party ends. There's the problem. And we need to read this on more than just a literal level because we all know what that's like. We all know what it's like for a party to end, but reading it on a spiritual level, we know this is more than just a social embarrassment because this is the first event in the gospel for the disciples. He's, he's just chosen his disciples in John chapter one. And so this was their first experience with Jesus out in the world. And in some ways it's his commentary on the world or even a judgment pronounced on the world. And this is the judgment pronounced by Jesus in and through this miracle. And that is that the world's wine always runs out. And we all know what that's like. It's why some of you are here this morning. Maybe the wine has run out on your marriage and there's little left between you and your spouse. Or maybe it's your work. You've put everything into your job. You've sacrificed everything. You've sacrificed your marriage for your job. You've sacrificed your kids maybe even as well. You're not really at home when you're at home because off the office is your true comfortable home and the wine has run out on your job. The thrill of it, the excitement, the drive, the motivation, or maybe the opportunity, that has come to an end. Or maybe it's wine itself. It hasn't literally run out for you, but it needs to. The wine needs to run out for you because you're drinking in the life of constant partying that Austin as a city and culture so quickly and easily constantly normalizes where almost every weeknight is like a weekend and every weekend is like a holiday. And that, that culture, that dynamic is costing you every other part of your life because your drinking isn't ending, every other part of your life is. And the point is that the life that this world offers, tries to pass off as true life, it always runs out at some point. Do you know the country song, The Party Never Ends by Robert O. King? I mean, we're in Austin, Texas, we should know this song. Many of you do. We could sing, many of you could probably sing it. It's a party Sunday. We're not going to sing the lyrics. That would be a little bit too much, but we all know the lyrics. We know how the song begins. Sherry was a waitress at a local bar in town. She had the reputation of a girl that's been around. We know that. We know the, the final line of every verse, which is the road goes on forever, but all together, there it is. Robert Earl will be very proud of us. One of my sister's best friends in high school, his name was Kyle. He was the life of every party that he attended. And he attended a lot of parties. One evening, just after their graduation on a typical late night out, Kyle ran a stop sign in Enid, Oklahoma, and was hit by a loaded wheat truck, killed instantly. And some of his friends who were with him found a CD of Robert Earl King's there, The, the Party Never Ends, on the, on the ground by the wreckage. And someone at the funeral said that that CD represented how Kyle would want to be remembered as one for whom the party never ends, but it did end. It ended that night. That night, the wine ran out for him just like it does for everyone. This world's wine always eventually runs out. Point two, here's what Jesus does about that. And that's the miracle. 
This is the first of seven miracles in the book of John that he calls signs, and he organizes his entire gospel around these seven signs. And again, this is Jesus's first public act. It's his first impression, and first impressions, as we know, they are remembered. People are remembered for how they first present themselves. In fact, they're defined by their first impression. And John wants Jesus to be remembered and to be defined throughout his gospel, throughout his life, by this particular miracle of turning water into wine. And we need to be honest, it's a little bit underwhelming. Jesus does a whole lot more impressive and miraculous miracle, amazing acts at other times in his life. He, he calms a storm. He, he walks on the water. Here, he could have levitated up above them if he wanted to with like burning hands like Iron Man and slammed down, rocketed down to the ground and shook the ground with incredible power. He could have done that. That would have been impressive. But water into wine, it's just not really all that impressive. And it's also a little bit excessive because he does a full-blown miracle just to prevent a mere social embarrassment. We've all been to bad wedding receptions. We've all been to those wedding receptions where they try to dance and no one wants to dance. We've we've been to parties that have flopped. And so why this? Why care about this? Why this as the first miracle that defines Jesus? And for this situation, well, it has something to do with Jesus revealing the end of his ministry at the beginning or to put it a little bit differently, to reveal the goal and the objective of his entire life here before he he sets out on achieving those ends and that goal. And it raises the question, what is the ultimate end? And what is the main objective of Jesus coming in the flesh? As John says in in the first chapter, taking on flesh and dwelling among us as God in the flesh, what's the ultimate end there? What does this miracle tell us? It tells us that Jesus's ultimate end and objective is joy, joy, true joy, festival type joy. Why do you all think that most people in Austin, Texas are not in worship this Sunday? If we were to ask them, what would they say, do you think? I bet many of them would say, I grew up in the church or I grew up around the church. I did my time there. I did religion, but now I just want to enjoy myself. I've been there. I've done religion. Now I just want to have fun because the message that they've heard from the church is nothing compared to what Jesus is like. And as he is presented here, they've heard moralism by us from us. They've heard be good, obey. And then maybe then we'll love you. Maybe then you'll be accepted. Whatever cliche we want to use, they've heard shape up or they've heard fly right or keep your nose clean or be really good. Don't have any fun and especially don't drink. But here, Jesus turns between 120 and 180 gallons of water into wine. Let's assume 25 glasses of wine per gallon. You math folks, do the math. It's at least 4,500 glasses of wine. Good wine the best wine. The master of the feast, he's shocked in verse 10. He says, you've kept the good wine, the best wine, the the wine that makes everything before it pale in comparison. You've kept that for the end. And why? Because apparently Jesus wants everyone at all the world's parties to hear him very, very clearly and to say to them, you may not believe in me. You may reject me. You may not follow me. and, And that's your choice, but don't do it because you think I'm some sort of killjoy 
or because I'm some sort of puritanical prude or because you think that life with me is somehow not life or that life with me is somehow joyless because nothing can be further from the truth because I am the true master of the feast. I am the one that makes the good wine flow. Do you believe that this Sunday? Do you believe that about Jesus? He wants you to believe that about him and here's why you should. Point three, the hour. Do you notice the awkward exchange between Jesus and his mother? Did you catch that at the beginning? Woman, what does this have to do with me? My boys better not speak to their mother that way. (laughs) Boys, take out the trash. Woman, what does this have to do with me? (laughs) I don't think that's exactly what's going on here. Jesus isn't being disrespectful to Mary, but he is being a little bit coy. And he is trying, I think, to be a little bit ironic. What does all the wine running out have to do with me? And the answer is everything. It has everything to do with me. Because here's what's going on. Jesus is definitely troubled here. He's troubled by what many single people are troubled by when they go to weddings. If you're single and you want to be married, you're not yet married and you're at other people's weddings, what do you think about? Well, you probably think about your wedding day your turn to be married, your hour. And you can be troubled if you wonder and fear that it will never come. And that's what's troubling Jesus here. It's his wedding day. Not the uncertainty of it, but the inevitability of it and what it will cost him. Because throughout the Old Testament, God is always compared to being like a groom and his people are like a bride to him. And so he's, he's, he's more than just our creator. He's more than just our king or our shepherd or our father or our friend. He's all of those things, but he's also like a husband to a wife. And Jesus here, as God in the flesh, he takes all of this imagery upon himself at the very beginning of the gospel here. And he does so, and he's troubled because his wedding day, he knows it's coming. It's inevitable. It will come. It's the end. It's the reason for which he has come. And he knows what it will cost him to be joined to all of his followers and his believers like a husband is joined to a bride in order that they might share one life. He knows what it will cost him. And what will the cost be? The cost will be all the wine. Because Jesus' wedding day, his hour is the cross. And he knows that he would pour out all of his blood, all of his life, and forfeit all of his joy, suffering the consequences for our sin so that we might be forgiven, yes, but also so that we might be joined to him like a bride is joined to a groom. You, you need to know that he loves you that much. He loves you that much that he came as God in the flesh to pour out all the wine of his blood in order to restore your life to God and to give you infinite, unending, festival joy in him. Joy that is so real that it is the Holy Spirit. The joy that exists between the Father and the Son, it's so real that it is the Holy Spirit. And Jesus came in order to pour out all of the wine of his blood in order to give you that joy. Some of you are thinking, not me. Not me, Tim. You, you, don't, you don't know. You, you don't know what I'm like. You don't know who I've been. You don't know how deeply I've drunk all of the world's wine and all that it's done to me, and not only to me, but to all of those around me. You don't know. Yes, I do. Yes, I do, and we all do. Like we said at the beginning, we all know what the world's wine does and what it's like when it runs out. So listen to me as I close. That is, today is All Saints Sunday. The word saint, it's just shorthand for Christian. Because of who Jesus is and what he has done, anyone can become a saint. Anyone can become a Christian. 
And on Monday at our All Saints service there in the chapel, I told everyone about one of my favorite novels, which is The Power and the Glory by Graham Greene. And that novel especially insists that God is especially found in failure and in loss. Or to, better yet, to put it another way, God finds us. He especially finds us in our failures and our loss. At one point, the main character of the novel says, it is way too easy to die for what is good or beautiful. It's way too easy to die for what is good or beautiful. The world needed a God to die for the half-hearted and the corrupt. And that is exactly what we have in Jesus. That's exactly what the world received in Jesus. And that's exactly what this main character in this novel is, half-hearted and corrupt at best. He's this unnamed priest in a, in a Mexican state running from the Mexican authorities because they've outlawed Christianity and they've demanded that all vestiges of Christianity be dismantled. So churches are being burned, crosses are, are banned, and the price of disobedience for continuing to identify as a Christian or to practice the faith, especially for priests, is immediate death. And so the vast majority of priests, they all give up the faith, they give up their ministry, and they take their government pensions. But this one unnamed priest, he travels around in secret, celebrating the mass and hearing confessions under the cover of night. But he's also a glutton, and he's also incredibly angry. He's a man drowning in vices, especially alcohol abuse. He has this constant desire to drink, which is why Graham Greene doesn't name him, but calls him the whiskey priest because he's someone still attempting to find life in the wine of the world. And that novel begs the question, are we? Are we still trying to draw life from the wine of the world? But then it quickly says, Jesus came for that priest. Jesus came for the whiskey priest. He came to the whiskey priest. And that's the point. It's the point of that book. It's really the point of the sermon. The point of this day is that God's redemption in Christ finds all sorts of half-hearted and corrupt people just like him, just like me, just like you. And God is able to make a saint where before there was no saint. He is able to do that. He is able to not just give forgiveness, but joy, infinite, unending, ineffable joy to you, to you this day. And so rejoice, rejoice so much that we exclaim like our Old Testament reading. Did you catch that as Jen read it? Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth because your love is better than wine. Your love, the love of God the Father in and through Christ by the Spirit is more intoxicating than anything that this world can offer. So rejoice this day because that's why we celebrate. We celebrate because Jesus has poured out all the wine for you and for me and for us all. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would enable us by your grace to celebrate this morning. That we would celebrate in ways appropriate and consistent, pointing to and even participating in the joy that is yours and that we have been brought in to share. So Father, we look forward to that final day in which we will celebrate with you as other wedding liturgies say, where your saints feast forever in your heavenly home. We pray that today would be a participation and a taste in that very reality. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.